we haven't met before, I'm Rob Jacobson. I'm so glad you're here today on this fine day. And this song, Away in a Manger, is this sweet lullaby-like song. And when I sing it, I picture this exhausted Mary and this somewhat tense Joseph. And I do picture a sleeping baby Jesus. I think there's a little bit of crying he makes, but... You know, there's also these cattle or animals that are making like animal-like sounds. And so you've got this very eclectic feel for this song and the sounds and pictures that are happening. But I love that Jesus comes to us as this little, helpless, dependent baby. I mean, really, the creator of the universe has come in this helpless child. And I know some people get a little nervous around babies, but there is something about a small child that just draws us in. Uh, Matthew, our worship director, his wife Amanda takes their son Benji, who just turned one. She brings him in about every other week, and I have a feeling it's, it's more for Matthew than for everyone else, but, but we all get to enjoy Benji. And I'm pretty fond of this little fellow, and last week after service, I went into the nursery, and there was Amanda talking to another mom, and Benji was on her shoulder, head on the shoulder, thumb in his mouth, his eyes just looking around, and the most amazing thing happened. Benji looked at me. His big brown eyes became these little crescents, and his thumb thumb popped out of his mouth, and his arms went, and I'm like, oh yeah, right here. Mm -hmm." And it was the best five minutes of baby therapy I have had in a long time. And I call it that because these little, little children have such pure joy in them. I mean, it doesn't always come out. I think in one sense, Benji might have been making up for the six times that he threw up on me the first times I hold him. But nonetheless, babies do have this pure joy. And we are drawn to them. And I think that for many of us, that we would say that that's the beauty and joy of this Christmas program that we're about to watch. That for many of these little children, this is the first time they've ever been in a play or a musical or a drama, and they're learning what it means to play a part, and so we're just going to enjoy that. And if there are any Broadway critics, okay, I don't think there are, but if there were, I'm guessing that they wouldn't rate and evaluate what we do today with how they do the shows on Broadway. Because, again, there's something that we want to cherish and protect about the innocence of little ones. And the problem is, that's wonderful, but the problem is if we leave Jesus as this little Lord, then we think that we approach him as this child that we need to protect, that we know better than they do or that he does. And we can keep him as this little Lord rather than the Lord of all. And the angel said to the shepherds on that first Christmas night in Luke 2.11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, or Christ, the Lord. So even before Jesus is born, he's referred to as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and this Lord, Christ the Lord. And Jesus is Lord. Do you know that Jesus is referred to as Lord over 700 times in the New Testament? This idea that Jesus is Lord means that he is the one who is supreme in authority. And if you think about that definition, you know, I think it works for us today. You know, like for example, 
you know you're the lord of the car if you insist on driving everywhere. Or if you just simply get in the car and the mere, your mere presence suggests that the driver would defer to you. You have this need to tell people how to drive or where to go, even if you're not watching the road. Then you might be lord of the car. I think it works if you're lord of the remote. You know, that, that device that you can speak to now or press buttons on to control a screen in your house. And you're lord of the remote if, you know, you walk in the room and you expect that the controller just be relinquished into your hand. And heaven forbid if someone would change the channel or the input if you leave the room for a couple minutes. And then I think, you know, you're lord of the holidays if... You know, you, you wear the Lord of the Holidays title if you expect everyone in your life or that you're related to to show up on time, appropriately dressed, and with a smile on their face because, you know, again, no one's going to ruin Christmas on your watch, so people get it together. We're going to love each other. Then you might be Lord of the Holidays. And so just for a couple minutes, because I know a lot of you are here to see the children, but for a couple minutes, I want you to consider what it means today in your life that Jesus is Lord. What does it mean for your relationships or for your work? What does it mean for how you spend your time or how you spend your money or like Pete shared, how you see others? That's what we're going to look at for just a few minutes. If Jesus is Lord, then I think he has supreme authority over what's his. Proverbs 3 says it this way, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding or not depend on your own understanding, but seek his will in all you do and he will show you the path to take. Submit to him, another translation says, know him and he will show you the path to take. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7 that there are really only two paths. We enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, but, and many enter it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Many of us choose the wide path, I think, because it's comfortable, it's popular, and honestly, it's easier. We only have to depend on ourselves. People who are on that path say, well, I believe Jesus is Lord, but... I'm still going to do what I want to do because I don't want to trust him with everything. Or they might say, uh, well, I know Jesus says to love our enemies, but he couldn't really have meant to love our enemies because that's just foolish and impossible. Or Jesus told us to forgive, but to forgive over and over and over and 70 times over, that I would never do that. Jesus said to give worldly powers what they tax us for and to give God what is God's, but it really doesn't matter if I hide money from the government. Or tithing is commanded over and over the Bible, get up, but God doesn't really care if I give him or his church or the least of these money. Or Jesus calls us friends, and I want to be friends with Jesus on Sunday mornings, but I have other friends I want to party with on Friday and Saturdays. That's the wide way. It's not only self-reliant, I would also say it's just partial surrender. The wide path reading of Proverbs 3, I'll call it the uh, RSV, the the self-reliant version. You might also call it the PSV, the partially surrendered version. It says, trust in the Lord with a little of your heart and do depend on your own understanding. Seek your will in all you do 
And then you don't have to ask him to show you the path to take. That's the self-reliant, partially surrendered version. It, it might say that I need God to prove himself before I can trust him. You know, my childhood faith might have, you know, blindly trusted, but I'm way beyond that. The slightly surrendered person would say, well, I'll trust God for my life, but I can't trust him with my kids, so I need to control them or worry about them or maybe allow them to do whatever they want so they love me, but I can't surrender them. The slightly surrendered person might say, I'll, be, I'll make Jesus Lord of today, but I can't make him Lord of tomorrow. I've got to worry and plan and fret and save so that tomorrow can be figured out. I've got to have my plans and know where I'm going, and if I don't have that, that doesn't all line up in this perfect way, then, then Jesus is not really Lord. But that's not surrendering your future to Jesus as Lord. Matthew challenges this version of partially surrendered and self-reliant when he says in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform any miracles? And Jesus says, I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, if we call Jesus Lord, then we would do what he says. So Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? He might say, why are you giving me lip service when what I want is your life service? See, I think there's a big difference between calling Jesus Lord and surrendering to him as Lord. And I think it's just beautifully ironic that the Lord of the universe would come to us as this baby so that we can come with no pretense, no condemnation, no offense, no, no worry or wonder about what he's going to make us do. And we can know him. And from that place of knowing him, then consider surrendering to him. I mean, the word know in scripture is this personal direct experience. In the, in the Genesis story, it says that Adam knew Eve and then they had a son. It's that kind of knowing. It's intimate. It's close. And we can come to the Savior today. And I encourage you to come to the Savior today with that kind of wanting to know. But from that place, also want to surrender. Because a Christ-centered life is a fully surrendered life. It's actually the carol we sang points the way. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever. Because technically we don't make Jesus Lord. He's already Lord. We don't have to make him Lord. We just need to surrender to what already is. We surrender to him as Lord. We offer him our whole lives, the whole thing, and he transforms us from the inside out because either he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. A childhood faith waits for God to prove himself so that we trust him. But today I want to challenge you 
to go beyond the childhood faith and go to a childlike faith that says, God, I'll trust you now because I know you'll prove yourself in the future. So just as we enter this time of continued worship and we really let our children, and I do mean our children, lead us, would you ask God, where am I not surrendering? Where am I not trusting you fully? God, is there an area of my life that I just want to keep to mind because I think, even though I don't say it, I think really I know better. And would you trust him now so he can prove himself later? Would you pray with me? God, as we take this moment and, and we let uh, little children lead us, I pray that from that place of, of just generous joy, of unconditional love, and of beautiful simplicity, we would allow your Holy Spirit to sneak into the corners of our life that we keep hidden. God, those places that we keep a tight, tight control of, just a, a death grip on. God, and I ask that you would show us where we haven't surrendered to you. God, that we would fully trust you with all of our lives, with every part of it. God, that you know better than we do, that we can depend on you. And from that place, God, that you would transform not just our current life, but God, you would transform our eternal life. You came to be with us, but you also came to save us from our sin. And so many of us have that sin of self-reliance and partial surrender. So God, would you do a work in us now? In Jesus' name, amen.